to episode number nine of Off the Shelf, a podcast that looks at what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, specifically in the context of Scripture and the message of William Branham. With me again is my esteemed co-host, Rod Bergen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever it is that you are listening to us. We literally have listeners from around the globe. I think we're up to 34 countries so far. We're very happy to have you part of our conversation today and happy for you to join us. Rod, last time we uh, started our conversation with James Rozak, and today we're just going to pick up where we left off. And uh, James, the last time we talked, you had begun to tell us what started your journey out of the message. Yes. So to this time, I would like to start by asking you what events led you to the decision to leave the message. You know, definitely compounding uh, issues were taking place. Um, kind of what I was alluding to, there was, you know, as many people are aware who are in the message circles, the, you know, there was a, kind of a brewing of questions that were being asked. And I perceived them to be a legitimate questions. Um, I think any question uh, should be perceived as a le- legitimate question. And, and uh, the problem for me, though, is I didn't have answers for them. So I more or less was waiting for the more seasoned, more established ministers to provide those answers uh, that people were asking. And uh, I guess one of the, the early things that was really bothersome to me was the way in which uh, the people who had questions were being treated, and I saw it very up close, um, you know, within within my own church. And again, people whom I I love and appreciated, but was a little bit taken aback by the way that people were responding. And I, in in one way, I understood it because I was feeling that same um, apprehension. It was very uncomfortable to have people asking questions, but at the same time, surely. <laughs> we have an answer and I don't have them. I looked, I I tried to dig inside my own resources and I never perceived myself as being an extremely um, uh, theologically minded person. So, you know, the, I felt like surely somebody's gonna be able to step up. And so, no, you're streaming other services. I was beginning to stream on a very regular basis, you know, other churches and whatnot and, and waiting for somebody. And really all I was hearing was, you know, um, there's people asking questions and you better avoid Facebook and, you know, all these things, that was the response and that was bothersome to me. And, but at the same, you know, on that note, it wasn't that I was, uh, it wasn't causing me to doubt at all. I was just a little bit disappointed. Um, but I say there was compounding things that were happening. I think, um, I'll kind of get back to the questions that were being asked because obviously they were they were problematic. Um, but at the same time, I was also um, beginning to um, feel a little discouraged, I think, at at the lack of uh, the gospel that was not being preached. Um, I was I had felt that way for a little while. Um, but with, with everything that was transpiring with questions and whatnot, I noticed that the amount of time that was spent lifting up William Branham was escalating. And, you know, I, I was, I was beginning to think, well, the answer should be able to come from the Bible. Um, if we have something of substance, we should be able to draw that from the Bible. And so I began myself as a minister, I began to really focus on the gospel. And consequently, I, I was always interested in reading other people 
and and I, I made the mistake perhaps of picking up a book by Timothy Keller called The Prodigal God. Great book. And um, yes, it was profound to me. It really um, had an impact on me, and it began opening up a, a question of the people outside of the message, you know, and kind of going back to Jake's question, he 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 threw kind of a, a question in there, like, can only the people in the message make their rapture? Is it only us that are qualified? And what makes us qualified? You know, those those kinds of questions, because the behavior that I see sometimes doesn't seem to equate to an elite people. And then you look at the, the quality of people outside of the message. And one of the main things that uh, I think played a role in my decision to leave was um, my, my pastor. I, I give him absolute credit. He he was proactive in in um, doing things that were unconventional. Uh, we had a you know, we had a need in the church and he would try and find a way to help that need. And so he had he had myself and my wife um, learning a form of counseling called caring for the heart. It was it was uh, led by a, a I believe he was a Baptist minister. So we were learning counseling from a Baptist minister, which obviously would be problematic to a lot of people. And it was controversial. And anyways, I was spend I got to fly down to Colorado Springs and spend a week with this man. His name was John Regeer. And what I observed for that week blew me away. Um, the humility, the concern that he had for people. Um, he was. Uh, he would show up in the morning with a, a paper bag lunch um, he, and he would leave um, with that same paper bag lunch folded up and he would take it back home with him. He didn't accept money for what he was doing and he spent 20 years counseling people to, to restore their marriages. And just the way, the method, the care, the concern, the the, the wisdom, all those things, um, I was utterly blown away thinking how can a man outside of our ranks have this much insight and wisdom and to be honest when I was within the message circles and I would observe how people were treated in counseling offices with their pastors I was (laughs) always thoroughly bothered Uh, they didn't have much help and so again it was just a thing I was thinking if I am elite (laughs) so to speak spiritually elite to this man what is it that I have? Is it just that I believe in a man named William Branham and I have some the- theological perspectives that supersede his? That entitles me to something far, you know, far greater. And that, that paradigm began to really bother me. And I remember me sitting in the hotel with my wife and thinking, you know what? If God is going to take me with my weaknesses and my failures and my shortcomings and my lack, and he's going to leave that man behind to go through tribulation because he doesn't see things exactly. I, I have a problem with that. Sure. And I remember me, me and my wife basically said to each other, you know what? I can't see it that way. I, we, we, have, we have a problem here. And that was, uh, that was something that uh, it was just a seed. It was just something that went in, in us that it just didn't sit right. Now, if you were uh, ministering all the way up until the end, I can't imagine uh, how much harder that is than than even what most of the rest of us dealt with. Uh, can you speak to that? Like, how what was that like? And was that what was the final nail in the coffin <laughs> that, that caused you to just say enough's enough and I can't do this anymore? Yeah. Well, I was. I, I fully admit I was 
using quotes less and less and less. And I was doing it not because I didn't believe the message mm-hmm. up, right up into the very end. I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't believe it was, it was, I felt that we need, you know, brother Brown himself even would say like, we have to get back to the original faith. And so I was thinking if we're going back to that original faith, there was no brother Branham said to that. I should be able to just take the Bible and use the Bible per se to, to make my case. And so, um, and because I was going through the counseling thing that I was doing, I was very aware of, I was doing a lot of counseling with people. I was profoundly aware of the amount of abuse that a lot of people had suffered. So I was very much preaching from the perspective that, you know, that the gospel was supposed to set the captives free, was was supposed to um, heal the people. You know, it was it was supposed to have this effect on. So I was wanting to preach from that. And the more I did that, the more people would come and say, you're not using quotes enough. I had numerous people in, take me out for coffee. And that was all they were saying to me. Are you sure you believe the message? And, I, you know, they were they, they, they were obviously concerned because there was all this other stuff happening. You know, the questions people, you know, believe the sign at this point had come out and published their humble pie. Um, so, yeah, there was an immense, immense amount of pressure. And I felt like I was going to be a catalyst to bring our church kind of around the corner. And I was even asking other message ministers, do you think because I had this perspective that why can't we get back to that original gospel? Why couldn't we do that? And not say, Brother Branham said, I asked some other ministers, like, do you think, and I won't name them, but do you you think we're always going to be saying Brother Branham said? And I had some ministers, high, high ranking ministers would say, you know, Brother James, um, in 10 years, I doubt we'll be saying Brother Branham said, because we will be so established. Yeah, I was actually, and that, that encouraged me because I was thinking, we, we should be able to do that because, you know, this emphasis on William Branham was bothersome to me. And I was now beginning to see problems. I was. I didn't I couldn't reconcile them. I, I was confused about that, but I still believed it. And I thought, well, maybe we have a flawed prophet. But what he said was true. So, you know, I was operating from that perspective. And I think the final thing that really broke was I went to a, a meeting in Tennessee I was invited to speak at youth camp and knew, I don't know how many kids there were, two, 300 kids. And at this point I was, the, the counseling side was really blending into my preaching side and I was being very honest about things. And I was bold enough to say in those meetings that, you know, there's things that your pastors will do um, and say, and there's things that your parents will do and say that will actually hurt you. And what I was trying to say, it, it, it wasn't that I was saying the message is bad. It was saying, you know, there's such a desire to hold on to sometimes uh, precepts and principles and laws and rules that we forget that we're dealing with people. And there could be, you know, there, there could be people sitting there being actually abused under a ministry. And maybe that's you. And I was saying this to the young people that were in the crowd. And of course, the response from the other ministers uh, was instantly negative. I don't think they talked to me, <laughs> but <laughs> a handful of times that I was there. And But the kids came running to me. They did. I've never had a more effective uh, service in my mind. It was the last time I would ever preach. Um, but yeah, they. I had kids lining up to talk to me. And the other ministers were very 
uh, bothered by the fact that I was talking to them one on one and they didn't know what I was like. I had kids coming up to me saying, I don't want to go home because when I walk through my when I walk through my front door, my dad's going to be on the other side of that door. And my dad, I get to watch my dad abuse my mother and me and my brothers and stuff like that. I And like to me, it's like put down the quotes there's somebody who's here who's hurting and what's more important right now, like maintaining the outward appearance of things or the actual heart of this person who's hurting. And if if it means that something has to be ripped apart to fix this, then let's rip it apart. That's kind of where I was coming from. I was sincere as all could be. And I, I got a letter of reprimand. <laughs> oh, my goodness. For what I did. And I understood. And I'm sure my pastor was talked to. I was not asked to preach after that. The the irony of that, James, is I distinctly remember uh, the winter uh, youth camp that you're talking yeah. about. And there were there were several uh, members of the youth group from uh, Johnson City, where I lived, yeah. that had attended that, some in my own uh, family. And they were so impacted. They could not stop talking about what an amazing uh, youth camp it was, and you specifically. So you ministered to someone, <laughs> uh, reprimand or not. And, and, yeah, so well, re- and, and this is one of the big problems in the message and with message ministers is abuse goes on and it doesn't get dealt with. It, it just gets covered over yes. because they don't want it coming to light. They want to ignore it. And so people get damaged, people get hurt, and nothing's ever done because they don't have any effective tools to deal deal with it because the me- they just tell you read the word listen to tapes and it doesn't do anything to solve the root problems in fact it makes it worse when you hear William Branham talking about take him out back you know and hit him with a bunch of whips or branches or whatever you do and it's just not a way to deal yes. with problems and the abuse just gets compounded and, and the the real issue you know and I, like some of the people like even those ministers in that meeting I it's not that I I look at them and think they're bad men I think that once you're invested in this this culture, the appearance, the appearance of things is more important for one. And number two, they don't have the tools and they're afraid of the tools required to actually make a difference. So you go back to the standby. Like, I, I don't know how many times I would hear, like, just get into the tapes, just get into the tapes. Yeah, That's yeah. the answer. You got to get into the And somebody who's sitting there who I, I mean, I, I'll give you another example of a, a young girl who came and talked to us and her father, who is a pastor in the message still, I still seem invited to had his daughter because she was rebellious in whatever way he perceived, had her on the floor, banging her head against the floor wow. as a means of correction to get the demon out of her. No, and no, that is a no. solution. Like, you know, I look at stuff like that and I'm like, there's something wrong. And that that's kind of where I came from. You know, something is really wrong. And that, you know, some people came from um, more the they would look at the errors of William Branham. They would look at the, you know, the, the lies and the discrepancies. And those things weren't the tipping point for me. It was me looking at kind of a different view and looking at the the, the way that the people were actually being treated whether they knew it or not. And they were so determined to lay themselves down and surrender to this message and become, and, and if there was something that was wrong, it was their fault. It was their fault. You know, you don't have enough faith. Right. You, you aren't believing this message enough. And, and that was the solution. And it didn't work any anymore. And I, I don't, I don't take a brush and say, this is the way it is in every church. It's not, but it's prevalent enough to make me say, okay, why is it this way? 
And that brought up, you know, me looking at it from a bigger picture and stepping back. And it was, I think it's the stepping back and looking and thinking, why is our culture this way? Why are our churches this way? And, and by doing that, you then have to begin looking deeper at the source. Like, why, why do we do church this way? Why do we believe this way? And when you really want to help someone, people start throwing rocks, as you said. They didn't want you to no. highlight the problems. And, it, and what's really ironic is that the word minister, so we have ministers, message ministers. The word minister means to attend to the needs of someone, to care for them, yes. to look after them, yes. to treat them, to help them. But yes. that's not what's happening. It's the facade. It's maintain the facade. Are you coming to church? Yeah. Is your dress long? Is your, you know, and that's really what it came, came, that's what I really began to see. You know, are you in line? You know, stay in line, brother and sister, stay in line, stay in line, keep marching in line, or stay with the message, stay with the word. And that's what matters. It doesn't really come down to people, what's going on in them. And yeah, that, 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 that hurt me so bad. And then when I came back to my church and uh, my, my pastor, who I had so much respect for, I've never heard him preach so hard about William Branham and me and my wife sat there and we looked at each other and we said, wow, something's wrong. I couldn't, when I walked out of uh, my message church for the last time, it was a terrible event. <laughs> it was one of the worst things that I, one of the worst services I was ever in where I'm not, I'm not going to go into it. I don't need to. Um, but when we walked out, I I'll honestly say, you know, um, it wasn't that I was thinking, well, William Branham's doctrine is way off. I, I couldn't say that. I was still too scared to even say he was a false prophet at that point. I just knew, as for me, something is so wrong that I need to remove myself from this. And that's where my journey of really honestly looking at things. I think uh, I was looking at my emails yesterday and I came across an email I sent maybe a week before I left. It was to Jeremy. It was the first. It was to Jeremy Bergen. And I asked him about uh, the, the, the tabernacle, the church ages being written on the wall, um, you know, that, that bro Brother Brown talked about. I, I, yep, yep. I was, that was the first time I was publicly able to ask a question to somebody. And I think I knocked Jeremy's socks off because he was like, you're, you're asking me this question for real? Like <laughs> his, his first response was, wow. His first sentence just said, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think what you were seeing in the message and what we continue to see and why people are actually leaving is is that reaction to the questions and the evidence that has come out the guy by the name of leon festinger and we'll talk about what what he wrote uh, but i want to read a quote and because it's it's really astounding it goes right to the heart of this he said this suppose an individual believes something with his whole heart suppose further that he has a commitment to this belief and he's taken irrevocable actions because of it like leaving family trashing friends which we yes. see all the time yeah Finally, suppose that he is presented with evidence, unequivocal and undeniable evidence that his belief is wrong. What will happen? Yeah. The individual will frequently emerge, not only unshaken, but even more convinced of the truth of his beliefs than ever before. Indeed, he may even show a new fervor for converting and convincing other people to his view. Absolutely. That's what's happening in the Absolutely. message. And is. people who are actually spiritual, the people like yourself who are concerned, really want to minister to people are saying, hold it. This is a problem. I didn't sign in on for this. Yes. I didn't expect this to happen. I'm a Christian. I want to serve Christ. So I am out of here. 
That's what's happened to people like Jeff Jenkins. It's what happened to to other ministers like yourself who've seen this problem manifesting itself by this increased fervor, which has nothing to do with the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely see that. Yeah, it's it's um, it's remarkable to see. Uh, that that transition that happens like when you come up to that point of a question and i i know you i think you're going to probably talk about it in some of your podcasts the cognitive cognitive dissonance and what actually happens to somebody when they come up to that juncture of we have a real big problem here and i'm going to either you kind of abandon yourself you know to one way or the other either you come up with an absurd explanation or you actually yeah yeah, yeah. go through the pain of looking at it and it hurts but you know um i'm just so thankful that there were people who did that like i'm so thankful for what you did and and others that were plowing that road because wow um i don't know if i could have done it if i didn't have that 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 knowledge that you know there's something that i need to look deeper at because there's there's a problem here. There's a problem here. Well, that's why that's in fact, that's why we put up the Believe the Sign website in the end, yes. because we said we found all this stuff. What do we do? Just leave any everybody else to find it on their own? Yes. That's just about the most irresponsible thing you can do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I said it cost me virtually all my friends. But yes, I, I, but I'm actually not going to tell the truth about what I found. I, I just yes. couldn't live with myself. Yeah. Right. That was my experience, too. Uh, I, I get asked why all the time, um, even from people who aren't in the message anymore some of them you know why do you need to do this well, you know you just need to move on with your life this is negative energy and so on and so forth and i as a as a, a introvert like you james i'm tempted to do that to just go in the shell and say i don't want to deal with the flashback the backlash and all of that but at the end of the day I, I come back to you know i am so grateful just like you said that that rod and jeremy uh did what they did and and john collins and and others that sort of paved the the way ahead of us and if if they took the heat and did that then anything i can do that may help someone else i want to do that whether it's painful or not yes yeah absolutely james you mentioned some questions that you had and and you kind of hinted you might want to talk to them a bit more what were some of the questions that really were problematic for you well i mean there's the usual suspects of uh ira uh, you know the cloud um yeah, I did. what do you do with that? You know, if you're honest, and I was, I, I was really learning to be honest. You know, when I was seeing problems, I was seeing problems, and I was looking at them, and uh, it blew me away. Like it, you know, some of the most, and then it kind of triggered things. Like looking back, you know, the the, the when William Brown would talk about the the cloud in Hoffman's head. And, and he, you know, you can see the quotes where he's talking about, well, can you see the face in there? Can you see, you know, there's his nose and, you know, all that. And I was so bothered by that because I would look at that and I'd be like, something's wrong with me because I can't, I can't see those. I can't see the face. Well, you know where that, you know where that came from is oh, somebody yeah. at Perry Green's church made a bad photocopy and it yes. kind of looked like a face <laughs> in it. <laughs> Increase the contrast in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at the actual picture in the magazine, you go, I don't see it. Like, so sure. anyway, and I, and I mean, yeah, you look at it like one of those guys who, um, you know, those those kind of funny paintings where you kind of blunt your eyes out and yes. you, suddenly something appears in the background and you're expecting that to happen and it never does. And and the, the, the problem, like, it's not that, you know, that wasn't a trigger for me. But what it did, it was it showed me the mentality that a person has towards something as absurd as that to kind of... Uh, 
push myself back down to say, oh, something must be wrong with me or I'm not spiritual enough to see it, you know, but it's surely it's there, you know. And when when these things were coming up, I was do you know, I came in contact with um, Alfred Pohl, his. Yeah. In 19, 1998 is the year I came into the message is when I came across that for the first time. And I it did everything that I could possibly do to shove that away because I was in the midst of I was in the midst of this beautiful oasis of people that were so loving and sweet. And I was in this place that was so wonderful. And yet I read that I came across it. Somebody gave it to me and it blew me away because I I didn't know what to do with that. And I shoved it away. And I always remembered it. I always remembered that I had shoved. So when all this was coming up, stuff like that came back to my, my remembrance. And I know what people would say. Oh, that's just the devil planted a seed. You could look at it that way or you could look at it for what it really says and and try to come up with an answer. And so like when the cloud, the you know, William Brown not being there when that cloud and the, and what he said about it, that is a massive problem for me just being honest like yeah yeah and yeah. And, and then and then you you take you know the Clarence Larkin and the church ages and and various things like that um the baptism on the Ohio River and you know the the article I know people dismiss those articles but when William Branham is so emphatic that there's evidence in the newspapers and there are no newspapers well, there actually you, is one article. Fourteen oh, I know people there got is. saved, right? Yes, yeah, fan- <laughs> fantastic. And, and one of the things I'm going to add too is, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, you mentioned the Alfred Pohl yes article. I'm going to put a link to that on our podcast site. So if Good. people go to the page that we have the uh, this um, episode on, if you're hearing it, you want to go to the page. Uh, we will put that link on the site so you can uh, read it on your own. There were there were so many of those things that you know I I refused. To to put them away and I refuse to um, I refuse to bow to the to the fear that people were trying to project onto people who are you know I uh, somebody in, in our church is asking a question and the response is I have the answers but I'm not going to give them to you yeah I heard because that. because I want you to feel the pain of what you're doing that's what you're going to do Wow. It yeah. doesn't make that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't have the answers. I'd like to know the answer too, you know. <laughs> and but the, is that how we deal with people who have questions? And and then yeah, I mean endless things that began to pop up. It was it wasn't one thing. It was it was the accumulation. And and that that tipped me over and I couldn't handle it. Amazing. As I think uh, everybody knows, we try to keep these podcasts to a half an hour. So we're going to bring this one to a close and we will continue our conversation on our next podcast. James, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure. I'm really appreciating the conversation. And for all our listeners who want to hear the conclusion, hopefully we'll conclude this <laughs> next week. <laughs> we could have this going for months, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, we were, uh, we'll come back and you'll hear our continued conversation with James Rozak who is the author of the Morning Mercy website. And I would strongly suggest you go to the site and take a look at it. We'll have a link on the on the website as well if you don't know how to find it. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, there's a link on the offtheshelf.life website or you can email me directly at rod at offtheshelf.life or you can reach Brian at brian with a Y at offtheshelf.life. We also on our website have a comments section after each com- podcast. Click on the on the title of the podcast. It'll take you to the page for that specific podcast. We're starting to get some comments. Really appreciate the feedback and have a great week, everyone. James, thanks again. My pleasure. Great.